Hello and welcome to the Flex. It's Matt St. Jean and Joe Howie here. Talk about the number one first place in the Big East Providence Friars 21 and two record. Thanks to a victory, a thrilling victory Saturday night over DePaul. Overtime victory, a much closer game than we anticipated, but a win nonetheless in front of what seemed to be a wild crowd. They said that the student session was filled up 90 minutes before tip off. Joe, did you ever see anything like that when we were there? I don't think I did. Never 90 minutes before tip off. Um, like, as you know, I was active in the Friar Fanatics. I was obviously with WDLM with you. We, we were always there early. I, I, th- I don't think there was a home game that I, I was there less than 90 minutes before tip off. And the student section has never been full like that. And I think, you know, on a, a, a an oddball 60 degree day in February when, you know, Eaton Street is buzzing and the students are spending extra time outside hydrating before the game. Um that's the result. I saw on Twitter someone tweeted, I assumed it was a student, thanks to Ed Cooley for honking at our we drink, you honk, we drink sign on Eaton Street. So, you know, if the head basketball coach of your school is driving down Eaton Street on a 60-degree day and honking at the, the, the darting students, I think that's a recipe for a, a rowdy crowd. They, they sounded freaking loud through the television, man. Oh, yeah, that looks like a party at the dunk. And let me tell you, the Friars, they needed it. This game was a grind through and through. Just about everything we said needed to happen for DePaul to make this a game happened through the first three quarters of it. Really, through the first 35 minutes of the game. But the Friars battled. They hung tough, and they were propelled by the crowd to force overtime. And then in overtime, I mean, it only ended up being a three-point game, but... Felt like the Friars pulled away. It got at least some space in the extra five minutes. Listen, if you told me on Saturday morning that we were going to be trailing DePaul by 13 points, DePaul, the residential basement dweller of the Big East, by 13 points at home in front of a 13,000 fan sellout crowd, I would have told you that it was a repeat of the 2018 home game against DePaul where they beat us by 30. Um, so listen, I know in the pregame I said I was expecting a blowout, um, but I'm happy with a win. You know, yeah. I think um, that there were moments in the game where that Texas Tech 14 point uh, comeback, you know, started to feel relevant again. I think that's where a, an early season game like that prepares you for a conference game like this. And, uh, you know, you really got to give the credit where it's due to Jared Bynum. Al Durham and Nate Watson, the senior players, the guys who have been there before for really, you know, tucking their noses and grinding through that because that was not at all a pretty basketball game. Ken Palm is going to hate us for that game, but a win is a win. So you walk away from that one happy. Yeah. And I think if the Friars come out and play like this Tuesday night against Villanova, it's going to be a long night because Villanova is going to punish you in ways that DePaul just can't do. But I thought the Blue Demons played probably one of their better games of the season. Again, at least through the first 35 minutes, we'll say David Jones was fantastic. He was hitting everything. I mean, he hit hit seven of 19 from the field, including four three pointers, and he had 10 rebounds. So a double-double for him the game after he had a triple-double, the first in the Big East since 2016. I mean, he was hot. 
And I mean, without Joe, you wouldn't even know that they were missing Javon Freeman Liberty. Uh, Terry had a really good game. Brandon Johnson was a force at points. And I mean, DePaul, they, they just mucked it up. They were really good in the paint. They fought for offensive rebounds. And you could see at some point the light went off. They realized, oh, we got a shot. We can win this game. And the fact that the Friars were able to hang with them through that and still grind out a win, it's impressive. Not as impressive as like a blowout. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, Ken Palm dropped us to two or three spots with this one. I'm not going to say too much about that because if you play a team like DePaul at home and get taken to overtime, at the very least don't deserve to be moving up in any metrics. That's for sure. But a win is a win. At the end of the day, that's all we're looking at right now. Yeah, um, at the end of the day, a win is a win is a win is a win. That's been the storyline of the season is just keep winning. Um, and yeah, you got to tip your hat to Tony Stubblefield and the job that he's doing with DePaul. Um, it's really not reflected in their conference record. You know, three and ten, um, a couple of heartbreaking losses for them. But uh, he, this is a DePaul team that fights and is chippy and scrappy, unlike other DePaul teams. Um, so, hey, I mean. With a ranked road win at Xavier, a ranked win over Seton Hall, and a 26 to nothing run to surge past Georgetown at home, you got to give credit where it's due. And not to mention giving us a run for our money at the dunk. But with that said, you know, this, uh, this once again says more about DePaul's opponent than it does about DePaul. We didn't play well, and DePaul capitalized, which is what any good team would do. It says more about us and our. and how ill-prepared we were for the the punch that DePaul was going to give. And you combine that with the fact that the Friars just did not shoot the ball particularly well from deep. They got the open looks they wanted. They finished just barely over 30% from deep, and it was really Jared Bynum. I mean, he was four of eight. He was the star scorer for most of the game. Other than that, A.J. Reeves still does not look himself since he's come back from that injury. I believe he's just 3 of 17 since coming back from the finger injury for three-point shooting. Durham took two from deep, couldn't hit one. Manaya took one. It was not a good luck. He couldn't hit it. And Horkler, he only hit one. It was a huge, huge three that that he hit. That was a big shot. Yeah, and other than that, I mean, you got (laughs) – you got – Two for Breed and Goodine. We we actually got to see Bryson Goodine come in. He hit it. He knocked down a three right away. They gave him the ball right off the bat. Said we want you to to hit a three and nailed it. So that was again a huge. Any game that goes to overtime, every single point you score is massive, and you saw it there. I mean, you had guys stepping up, making plays. When you play Villanova on Tuesday, you're gonna. You shouldn't be hoping Bryson Goodine's gonna give you three or six points or whatever. <laughs> if you're relying on him to be the team at the top of the conference, it's going to be a, a tough spot to be in. And, and to give credit where it's due, I, I think that was a great adjustment by Cooley, putting Goodine in. And this is such a, a small and isolated play. But when he Bryson Goodine was on the floor, my dad and my brother, I was watching the game on the couch with them. They questioned, they're like, Bryson Goodine. I said, Cooley wants someone to hit a three right now. It's not Reeves. It's not Manaya. It's not Horkler because those guys are all missing. It's not Bynum. Bryson Goodine is a good shooter. Again, he shot the lights out against Northwestern on a neutral floor in, um, where was that? In Newark, New Jersey, back at, at, over Thanksgiving break. So Bryson Goodine can hit those shots. Is he going to give you more than five minutes a game? No, not this season, at least. But 
he came in, he did exactly what he was supposed to do and hit the three. Then I, I think we saw him struggle down on the defensive end, and that's when Cooley pulled him. But that's what you needed because then that kick started that run that cut the gate that cut the lead to four before halftime. Um, yeah, it, so that was I, I thought that was a good. I thought that was a good move by Cooley. That was the energy three that we needed to kickstart us and ricochet us back into the game. Yep, and I thought Breed also. He knocked down one three, but it was a big one. They were moving the ball well, and they were able to get him a wide open look in the corner. And that's yeah. one of those, all right, you get the in-rhythm three, but also the half-court offense. It's designed not just to get you the ball to Nate Watson, but to get the ball to shooters open outside in the corners at the wing. And you got that look. And it's all right. We had a couple of those we didn't hit. Breed, Breed knocked one down. It's where you need somebody to be the one to step up and do it. But we could talk about perimeter scoring all we want. It was Nate Watson who took over this game late. He had, I think, one of his better games of the season, seven rebounds. He was fighting for boards all over the place, which, side note, Ed Croswell also was fighting for boards. But to stay with Watson, those couple points he had, I mean, he was the one that tied the game up late. He had two free throws to take the lead, which is what gave them the buffer when the game went to overtime. And he was the big man when they needed it the most. Yeah, this was a really, really good performance for Nate Watson. It wasn't one of his, you know, 22 and 11 stat stuffing performances, but I think just his presence on the floor alone is what, you know, helps drive the Friar team to the victory. I think one of my favorite sequences late in the second half is Durham drives to the cup, misses the, the, the layup. I think he was double teamed. Watson gets the rebound, takes a jump shot from roughly the free throw line, maybe a step and a half in front of the free throw line, misses it gets his rebound, puts it back two points. I thought that was fantastic. That was probably the best Watson play I've seen all season because Mm -hmm. one, you're taking a shot, but two, you're immediately recognizing that it's not the best shot. You're going, you're getting your board, you're putting it back up and getting the two points anyway. I also think that was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, I think what was hilarious, absolutely hilarious is Nick on Jenda. Nick Angenda is six foot eleven, two hundred and ten pounds. He gets a, a, an and one layup on Noah Horkler and is like strutting to the free throw line, flexing his muscles. Dude, you fouled out and Watson torched you in the paint. You have absolutely no right to flex your muscles like that. And listen, I get it. it, it it's it's fun when you draw the foul on Horkler, but it, if you're gonna be boastful like that, you're gonna be cocky. You better back it up on the defensive end against the 6'10", 265-pound big man that's pounding you in the paint. And if you're not, go take a seat on the bench because, I I mean, you have no right being that cocky. Again, he made some real nice plays in this game. When when DePaul came out and made that run to start the second half, he had that dunk. He slammed one home right off the bat. So he did have that, and he had the, the jump shot at the end of the second half, right? couple seconds left that's what sent the game to overtime unfortunately for DePaul he fouled up pretty quickly in overtime and that was it for him so yeah I mean that's where the Friars were just too physical and this is we've, we've talked about it the Friars have a high floor and that when they play poorly they're physical enough that they'll just drag the game out and all they need is a, is five good minutes and they'll win and that's really what happened here and that's that's the floor of this team with the exception of the Marquette and Virginia games where the defense isn't there. If the defense shows up, which it has in almost every game this season, the worst case scenario is you're going to be in a close game. And they just they find ways to win every single one of those this year. Yeah, it's a, 
finding ways to win. I mean, if you need to drag DePaul into overtime to win the game, so be it. Um, and, and I think, too, that the the mental and the facial expressions of both teams when overtime hit is what gave away what the end result was going to be. When that over, when the final buzzer and regulation sounded, and it was sixty sixty, and you looked at the composure of each team, the Friars looked relieved to get to overtime. Like, okay, it's zero zero again. We get a fresh start. If you look at the facial expression of Tony Stubblefield and the DePaul players, they kind of had like this OF moment. Like, we have five more minutes of this. You know, I I think if DePaul was to win this game, it had to be in regulation. Once we went to overtime, it was advantage Friars. Yeah, and in some ways, it reminded me a little bit of the Big East uh, championship against Villanova, where when, when Providence played that bag in 2018 and that game went to overtime, especially the way the ball was bouncing, it was kind of this feeling of, all right, we played the best 40 we could give them, and now we're tired, and their guys are just more talented, and they're going to take over. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what the Friars did, and they had the free throws they needed to, too. Also, credit to Paul. Like, the shots that they were hitting, they never gave up on this game. Even though they were tired, I think they knew that it was going to be real tough for them to do this in those final five minutes. Providence got a lead, and DePaul knocked down a couple shots. They were hanging in there. They were hitting some free throws. I mean, they were not good from the stripe. They were 8 of 14. They missed almost half of their free throws on the day. And that's a big reason why they are where they are in the conference. And Providence was 19 of 22 another big reason why the Friars are where they are in the conference right now. Heck, just look at St. John's today against UConn. They could not hit free throws. That's why they lost that game. But every point matters. And the Friars did all the little things. Al Durham battling a sports hernia right now, apparently. And just, he could he could not buy a shot from the field. Two of eight, was really struggling there. Had that nice assist to Nate Watson on the game-tying basket and hit 12 of 12 free throws. Just everything you need from him right there. Everything aside, you know, Bynum's fantastic shooting, Watson's physical dominance, all that aside, I think Durham going 12 of 12 from the stripe is the best stat of the whole game. Um, especially when you add in that he's battling an injury. And Cooley said in the postgame presser that Durham's been nursing this injury for almost two weeks now. So talk about, you know, the onions on Al Durham because he was sitting for a lot of the second half and you saw a lot of Reeves. You saw a lot of um, Alan Breed in there at that other guard spot. He comes in and I love this analogy. It's like, you know, you, you flip on the bat signal. He comes in Mariano Rivera, the closer. He comes in. Doesn't do much, you know, with respect to field goal percentage, but he comes in, he just takes control, handling the ball, finding Watson for for open looks under the cup, or even that one play where Watson sealed and Durham got a good look at the cup and got fouled, getting to the free throw line, hitting your shots. That's the senior, that, that's the experienced composure that you need to win these close games. And all the while he's battling, you said a sports hernia, Matt? Yeah. That's just tough. Uh, that that's just that's so tough. Yeah. And if you look at look at like the timeliness of his his points in the last five minutes of the game, he got four points from the free throw line. Plus, he had two assists. He had an assist on that Noah Horkler three, and the assist on the game tying basket from Watson. And then you go to overtime, six of six from the free throw line, and he had that layup. That was a a jumper. It was a nice little fadeaway baseline jumper floated right up and in 
gorgeous, gorgeous shot. And I mean, that was just, he just made those plays all game long. And especially credit to Ed Cooley for this. He decided to foul up three. So glad he decided to do that. To make yeah. that happen, you got to be confident in your free throw shooters. Durham, four for four from the stripe in the last 10 seconds of overtime. But also, I have to say, this is, and this is two comments. One, the, the the growth and the adjustment of Ed Cooley, because a couple seasons ago, he wouldn't have fouled up three. He would have just let it run, and Makai Ashton Langford would have fouled the shooter, and the three-pointer would have gone in. I, I'm thinking of that double overtime game at Georgetown. Uh, a couple seasons ago, Ed Cooley would not have fouled up three. It, look at the growth. Now you decide to foul up three. You have trust in your players that they're going to hit the free throws when it comes. And also, the, you foul up three, the immediate next play, and this is something we've done in each of the past three games now, is you have Durham as the inbounder. He runs along the baseline. Manaya steps out of bounds. Durham passes to Manaya. Manaya right back to Durham. You would think that if DePaul properly scouted Providence, that in crunch time you would know that that's the play that's coming. But yeah. in three back-to-back-to-back games, we have run that play now. And the opposing, the opponent, opposing, wow, I can't even speak. The opposing defenses, it just, they're boggled by it. Yeah, and, and then the craziest part of that to me is that Al Durham is clearly the best free throw shooter on the floor. So the defense, you're trying to get the ball away from him because that's not the guy you want to foul. And let's say even if Providence didn't run the play with the, the inbounder, Al Durham was the original inbounder there. DePaul had nobody on him. So even if they don't run something crazy, as long as he gets the ball in, they're going to pass it right back to him and he's going to get fouled with the ball. And that's why they were able to get that playoff. There's nobody guarding the inbounder there. So when they switch like that, the defense just can't react in time to cover where Durham is. And it's just... At some point, a defense is going to adjust to that, and I hope Ed Cooley has enough to play off of that that they can use. But nobody's done it so far, and it's worked to perfection. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, and this is where the age, the 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 veteran team, the experience all shines. You know, DePaul, they can be boastful and cocky and try and posterize us and miss the dunks all they want on agenda can flex his muscles. Um, however, how do you say that guy's name? Macaulay. Corvassier Macaulay. Corvassier Macaulay can like chirp the crowd all he wants, but at the end of the game, all of that means nothing. If you can't make the defensive adjustment to guard Al Durham and, and not get him the ball at the end of the game for free throws, because all of the, the showboating, all of that, it goes right out the window and the veteran team wins because the composure is what matters. And I thought that was the, the, the best way to end the game. You just get Durham to the line as many times as possible and let him do his thing. Enter Sandman. Enter Sandman is right. They, they queued that up. Props to the DJ there at the dunk for having that one ready. Friars, I believe it's 11-0 and now in close games. He's six points or less and overtime. Something like that. I don't know, but... They're unbelievable this year. 21-2 and is the record top of the Big East. And they have the biggest game of the season coming up Tuesday night, 8 o'clock on CBS Sports. Villanova's coming to town. The last time Providence lost at the Dunkin' Donuts Center was January of 2020 to the Villanova Wildcats. 64-60 to was the final in that one. I got to tell you, Joe, 
looking at the scouting report, I think we're looking at likely another low-scoring game as the Friars have played with Villanova quite a bit recently. So I actually I have a, a really good friend of mine that went to Villanova. He's a big Villanova basketball fan. I saw him the other night, and we both said, you know, it's an 8.30 weeknight game in the middle of February. Uh, we're expecting a game w- with fewer than 60, hell, even fewer than 55 points by both teams. Um, this is going to be one of those good, old-fashioned Terrible shooting percentage, rock fights, um, and it's going to go both ways. Um, it, this this is a game that I think a lot of Friar fans have had marked on their calendars since the schedule came out. Since you know, even beyond the the historic season narratives, the luck narratives, this has been one that's been circled for a while. It is also the second um, rendition of the February pinkout game against Villanova at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. The inaugural pinkout game was against Villanova back in February of 2018. So this is, I'm really excited. I will be at this game. Um, I'm expecting the Dunkin' Donuts Center to explode, like actually physically explode from all of the noise. And man, I just can't wait. Yeah, this is gonna be an intense one. You look back at the series history, Providence has actually beaten Villanova two of their last three meetings. They won at home in the regular season finale last year at Alumni Hall. 54-52 was the final in that one. They won at Wells Fargo Center on leap day of 2020, 58-54. These low-scoring games. Here's a fact for you, Joe. Providence has not scored 70 points against Villanova since the inaugural pinkout game. And there's been quite a lot of low-scoring games in that span. That's the way these two teams like to play. They're both physical. Providence has generally done a good job of limiting Villanova's shooting from deep. And then you go ahead and you look at what this Villanova team does. They are in the bottom 10 in possession length this year on offense, meaning they just hold on to the ball. They don't mind waiting until deep in the shot clock to get things. They like to play games with a low number of possessions, in part because they're a very efficient team. They hit a lot of shots. They have a lot of good shot makers. And when you have that, you can wait as long in the shot clock as you want. You can slow the game down and have it crawl and really make the other team pay, make the most of your opportunities and limit the other teams. Providence kind of likes to play that same way. They also like to play very slow. So you put those two together and this, I mean, you could have two teams that are scoring efficiently and you're going to be lucky if they hit 60 points in this one. Yeah, Matt, uh, Providence and Villanova play two very similar styles of play, as you just highlighted. Um, we've split with them each of the past two seasons. Um, it's really, it's going to be a low scoring game. Um, yeah. I can't imagine it's going to be a, a three-point um, rainstorm, but if it is, it, it, it's got to go both ways. You know, I think that's that's really where Providence needs to take advantage and capitalize. Is it, Villanova's a, a live by the de, live by the three, die by the three type of team. If you can take away the three-pointer from them and force them to go inside, force them to go through the undersized Eric Dixon, force them to go through the undersized Jermaine Samuels against the likes of Watson, Horkler, even Croswell, that's where you really need to capitalize. You know, guard play is guard play. You know, Durham, Gillespie, Samuel, uh, not Samuels, 
uh, Justin Moore, Bynum. You guys, those guys will do their thing. This game will be won in the paint. And whichever team imposes their will physically down low will come away the victor at 10.30 p.m. on Tuesday night. Well, I think I think the Friars, their path to victory here is to impose their will in the paint. I think Villanova is probably going to play a little bit differently because they do have some guys. Colin Gillespie's, I believe, second. He's either first or second in the conference right now in three-point shooting percentage of guys who've hit a certain threshold of shots taken. Bynum is actually out shooting him as a percentage now. Noah Horkler is just a, a hair under where Gillespie is. So you got three of the best three-point shooting guards, three, three of the top five three-point shooters in the conference going at it in this one. And yeah, the, the way Villanova plays, they like to play inside, but not necessarily in the paint. It's interesting. They don't they don't try to get within five feet of the basket, but they like things just outside of that. That's where the Brandon Slaters, Jermaine Samuels, Eric Dixons of the world play there at their best and it'll be interesting i mean that's kind of the matchup to watch if the friars can dictate here and force it to be a game of physicality i like their odds with nate watson against eric dixon if shots are hitting for villanova i don't necessarily like the odds of all right now we got to pull nate watson out of the paint to cover dixon and villanova can have their guards start slashing down low because you don't have a rim protector yes um i i also think it depends on matchups too because I think you can take that gamble with Eric Dixon if he's going to leave the paint. He's okay. It says he's a 45% three-point shooter, but I'd like to know how many attempts he's taken. Um, he's not one. He's not one of their go-to guys from the perimeter. Is what I'm trying to say. Is he? He's a fine paint player. He's fine inside the arc. But if if you're going to gamble Watson at the perimeter for Dixon in the corner, I'd take that gamble. Because chances are Eric Dixon isn't going to be the guy taking that three-point shot. And if he is, and if he hits it, more power to him. But I think realistically, um, you can take that gamble. And I think something that Villanova does too, and I've been seeing a lot of this when I've been watching them recently, is they'll have Gillespie, Justin Moore, who's this? Who's the other guy that I hate? Caleb Daniels, probably one of the, their, mo- their most overrated player, by the way. He, he crumbles under pressure. Um, those three guys are like backing down forwards into the paint. That's just not going to work against us. No. Gillespie backing down Justin Manai. You tell me he's going to win that battle. It works against St. John's. It works against UConn. Doesn't work against Marquette, but it works against teams that are less disciplined defensively. But if you try that on us, it's not going to work. So really, like you said, Matt, they have to beat us from the perimeter. Yeah, and this is, I mean, that's something Villanova is comfortable doing. They they get 40, no, sorry, 37% of their points from beyond the arc. That's top 50 nationally for that. So that'll be, I mean, they're comfortable doing that. So the Friars have to play good defense there. And they're, they're at least a decent team defending inside the paint. But I, you mentioned the key word there for this, which I think is discipline. Villanova, they don't turn the ball over. And they hit their free throws. So Providence can't be affording to give them second chances. I mean, you can't let them get extra possessions off of offensive rebounds. You can't foul them, give them free points at the line. And you got to be clean with the ball because they're not going to turn the ball back over to you. And that's no. that's going to be the name of the game. If you I mean, this Friars defense, if you're going to win, it's not going to be a whole lot of splashy plays, with the possible exception of blocks. I don't think you're going to get a lot of like crazy steals or anything like that. It's got to be the little things. 
you have to force them to take bad shots and then box out and get the rebound. It's it's that simple, and that's the core of basketball right there. It's, you're not going against Mike Anderson and St. John's where they're going to run something crazy or Marquette where they're going to run a press, and you got to worry about playing all 40 feet. No. This game is going to take place in the half court, and it's going to come down to which team can really just play a better man-up defense, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and if I'm Ed Cooley and I'm preparing my team over the next – you know, it's Sunday at six right now. If, if I'm preparing my team tomorrow, because chances are they've already had their walkthrough or their their film session today. If I'm preparing my team tomorrow, I am driving the point home of being disciplined defensively because that will win you the game. And mm-hmm. to to be to be blunt, we were not disciplined against DePaul. I think, and I said this in our pregame. That DePaul game was a trap game. We were lucky to escape that DePaul game with the victory, but it was a trap game. So if DePaul caught us thinking ahead to Villanova, credit to them. We were fortunate to win that game, but it it, it all comes down to Tuesday. Now, this is a battle between one and two. Uh, Forget Friar fans, forget Villanova fans. The entire Big East has this game circled on their calendar. This is where the legitimacy of Providence's resume right now comes into play, and it's for real. For for some reason or another, right now, Villanova, statistically by their record in conference play, is number two. But if we lose this game, we lose all legitimacy, even if we remain above Villanova in the Big East conference standings. So you got to come to play, and you have to be disciplined defensively. Yep, and and part of that too is the way the schedule works out for the Providence. If you lose this game at home, then there's a situation where you then have to go to Vill- you have to win out and then go to Villanova in the season finale if you want to win the regular season title. And quite frankly, I I don't want to go into Villanova for their senior night and have that game be for the regular season title. I'd rather win the game at home. There's nothing wrong with splitting with Nova. If you get one win versus Nova, you're in good position. Let's take the easier one, or at least the yep. the one you're supposed to win of the two. But I mean, you're right. This is just this is such a massive game in terms of everything for the conference. And Villanova has been the top dog in the Big East for I mean ever since the reformation of the conference. Jay Wright's done such a good job over there. It's got two national championships, obviously, and. They don't really lose big games for the most part, other than getting swept by Marquette this year. I mean, they lost some non-conference ones for the most part. I mean, they've been a damn good team, all conference play. They haven't done anything super splashy, but they've just been really good. They're really consistent, and you got to force them to have an off night. They don't usually have an off night all on their own. You got to make it happen. The Friars are equipped to do it, but being equipped to do it and making it actually happen, history has shown us with Villanova, two very different things. Obviously, I'm hoping the, uh, hoping the Friars do it. I think it should be an entertaining game, that's for sure. I, I would be shocked if this game is not incredibly close. Yeah, uh, I, I agree, Matt. I, I can't imagine this game isn't going to span at, at, at for either team with a higher lead than 10. Um, it, these games are generally played closer. Um, and that's what you get with the with these newfound Big East rivalries. I, I, I'd say Providence Villanova is one of the top Big East rivalries right now. And when you play a rivalry game, each team shows up. And to your point you made a few moments ago, Matt, if I'm the Providence Friars and I'm Ed Cooley and I'm, and I'm gambling on which game I would prefer to win, 
ideally you want to win both, but I'd prefer to win the one where you have the home crowd backing you, the sold out, pinked out, well lubricated, well hydrated, whatever you want to call it. You want the Dunkin' Donuts Center crowd and that rowdy ass student section behind you when the the top contender for the Big East regular season title comes to town. So you know what? Get behind the crowd, play disciplined, feed Watson, and beat Nova. Go Friars. Yeah. This is it's, this could set up nicely for Providence. You win this one. It's at Butler. Obviously, Butler did beat Marquette at home. I mean, that just happened, and that's insane to me. But, I mean, that's not necessarily an easy game. And home against Xavier and Creighton, not easy games. But this is this is the winnable one, and it set, makes the schedule set up really nicely for Providence. So, huge game. It's going to come down. I mean, this is going to be a full-team game. Bottom line, you're not winning this based on the performance of any one guy. You need everybody to show up. You need good offense, good defense. Villanova's going to play a good game. Even their bad days are still good games. So you got to be able to answer the bell. And this is a lot on the line. I, I would say this is the biggest game, with the possible exception of the 2014 Biggest Championship, that Ed Cooley has played, has coached for the Friars. Agreed. All right. This one is going to be 8 o'clock on Tuesday night, CBS Sports Network. Side note, I don't know if you know this, Joe. Big week for CBS Sports Network. They get this game, they get two games Wednesday night, and they get the only Big East games on Thursday and Friday. I don't know how that happens, but lots of CBS Sports this week. So that's that's interesting. No John Fanta on this one. Yeah. yeah. John Bring Fanta us over will to Fox Sports, house. please. He'll be in the house. He will not be broadcasting. Not broadcasting. It's not him He's and just Donnie be Marshall? There. Not that I know of for this one. I can I can check the game notes, but side note. Oh, we're speaking of commentators here. You see who I got the uh, the pleasure of meeting today, Joe? You got to meet uh, Gus Johnson, who has surfaced from you know wherever he was hiding and has returned to calling college basketball. Yeah, well, football season's over, and he's back to college basketball. It's funny. I mentioned the LaJuan Pipkins call and how much we liked it. He had no memory of it. <laughs> of course not. He makes a lot of those calls. Fantastic announcer. But yeah, 8 o'clock Tuesday night, Dunkin' Donuts Center, Pink Out. It'll be on CBS Sports Networks to make sure you're tuned in for that one. It's your first place in the Big East, Providence Friars, 21-2, 11-1 in conference play, hosting the second place of Villanova Wildcats, 19-6 on the season, 12-3 in conference play. Don't miss it. And don't miss us. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Make sure to go rate us. They have that now on Spotify. You can rate podcasts. So please do that. Only if you like us. So if you don't like us, you can just swim away. Go somewhere else. But yeah, thank you for listening. And uh, for Joe Howie, I'm Matt St. Go Friars.